0: hear now the word of God. So I I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, there is a word here for all of us tonight. Would you make us those who listen to what you say, who take it to heart, And who are different because we've seen and heard your will for our lives. Send your spirit to help us and change us as a church. Help us, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our, our reading tonight brings us to discussion that Peter has mainly for elders. That's what Peter actually turns his attention to tonight. In fact, it's not even written to elders in general uh, it is a section written from one elder to another. In fact, another group of elders, more than one. He says, I write as a fellow elder. Now, uh, in, if, you, if you're thinking about the flow of Peter, if you're thinking about the argument he's been making in this book about living as strangers in a strange land. Why does he suddenly start talking to elders here? Well, the fact that he's writing this letter to strangers and sojourners in the land, actually, it makes sense that he would talk to elders, that he would address elders here. Because the reality is when it comes to persecution, when it comes to the potential for trouble while we're living in this strange land we find ourselves in, the reality is elders of the church tend to be on the front lines normally. Um, Because it's often that the church leaders who are apprehended first when there's trouble. Think about this house church network in China. When it was busted up, what did the Chinese authorities do? They arrested elders in the church. They arrested those who were pastors in the church and threw them into prison. And so elders are important. And that's why Peter brings his attention to them. And understand this. Um, Elders, he expects elders to be under assault, not just by the culture, not just by society, but especially by the great enemy of Christians, the devil. Elders are important to the devil, and that is because elders are important to God. And so if you spend very much time reading the New Testament epistles or reading the book of Acts, one of the things you quickly see is that the elders of the church are very important to the well-being of God's people. Uh, At least three letters of the New Testament are written explicitly for elders of the church to read. Paul mentions the elders nine times in his various letters by name. The elders of the church are mentioned 10 times in the book of Acts, and they are mentioned a dozen times in the book of Revelation. The book of Acts talks about the high priority that the apostles put on elders in the church. It tells us that the apostles made sure to appoint elders in every church. In other words, they wouldn't leave a church plant until they made sure there were elders in that church. And so for the elders... Uh, for the apostles, elders are not an optional part of the church. You can't you can't have a church without members, but you also can't have a church without elders. So before we look at the instructions that Peter spends time giving to elders, let's talk about the responsibilities of the elder. Um, our book of church ordered is a beautiful job, I think, summarizing the biblical responsibilities of the elder. Now, there is more to the elder than this, but there's also not less than this. It says, As the elder has oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed bishop or pastor. As it is his duty to be grave and prudent and example to the flock and to govern well in the house and kingdom of Christ, he is termed presbyter or elder. As he expounds the word and by sound doctrine exhorts and convinces the gainsayer, he is termed teacher. So I don't know exactly what you sort of picture when you think of the elders of the church. Uh, Maybe you think of the elders of the church as sort of taking care of the church, handling personnel, dealing with facilities and and things like that. But that's actually not the work of the elders. That's actually the work of the deacons. Um, Elders are meant to be focused on the spiritual government of the church. So we oversee the church. We govern the church and teach the church. And so given all of that, you could imagine why elders are so important to God and why they are under such an assault by the devil. Even though Jesus runs the church, he does it through elders who will have to answer to God for how they lived and whether they honored Christ in the way that they served. Which I think helps to sort of explain the very heavy emphasis that we see on elders in the New Testament, especially as go the elders So goes the church. If elders are careless and sloppy, if they're not careful or critical to make sure the gospel is preached consistently, the church will start to dissolve and disintegrate slowly around them. And the spiritual lives and service of elders has a tremendous, incalculable impact on the church. Now, maybe you as a congregation are sitting there and you're thinking, he's going to preach a sermon to all of us that are for the elders why would he preach a sermon for us that's for the elders and i would say a couple of things to that and i hope you did ask that question because it means you're thinking critically and you're you're sort of thinking through what's really going on here but here let me say this it is important that as a church you understand the calling and the task of elders um I'm going to just give you an example. If you are not currently praying for the elders of this church, I would suggest that it shows you don't understand the calling of the elder. And you need to hear this sermon. If you're not praying for the elders of this church, then you need to hear this sermon. You need to know a fraction of the calling of the elder so that you will pray for him. It's also important to remember that the instruction for elders here was intended to be read for the entire church. When Peter's letter was delivered to the churches that received it, everybody heard this part. And so for Peter, it's not like he wrote a private letter for the elders over here and a letter for the church over here. No, it's intentional. These are things that you as church members can and should know about the calling of the elder of the church. And there are also things that you as members of the church can and should do once you understand the calling of the elder. So there is application here for church members, and we'll get to that sort of closer to the end. (coughs) Uh, Another thing is this. It's important for us all in the church to know what God's expectations for all of us are. Uh, when, When I did the... The deacon training earlier this year, it, I, none of them were being trained to be elders, and yet I did elder training for the deacons. And that wasn't because necessarily I think they're going to become elders eventually. Um, in my thinking at least, and it made the elder the deacon training very lengthy, they will tell you. Uh, but my thinking was, I want them to know the calling and responsibility of the elders, even though they're deacons. Because we want to make sure that the, the elders don't serve as deacons, and we want to make sure the deacons don't serve as elders. God's given the church these two respective offices for a reason. Their callings are very different, and their focus is in very different places. But church members need the same things. If church members don't know what elders are called to, they could make the same mistake. Um, I've heard of churches, and I this is not one... Churches that are in a constant state of mutiny because some members really think of themselves as like the police for the elders. uh, Or they're like the executive committee that the elders have to answer to. Um, The reality is elders should obey God and live with a good conscience and serve well. But they answer to God and the other elders for that, not to the members of the church. And so we need to to know what our various callings are and also what our callings are not. And next week we will look at the next verse, verse 5, in which Peter does have instruction for the church members when it comes to the elders. But this week we are just going to look at the elders and the responsibility of the elders. So I, I would summarize what Peter says about elders with three commands. And here are the commands. Willingly shepherd. Selflessly shepherd and humbly shepherd. Willingly shepherd, selflessly shepherd, and humbly shepherd. This is just as important for elders of the church to hear as it is for everyone who is a member of the church. And so let's look at Peter's expectation for elders here tonight. First, Peter tells us to willingly shepherd. The very first encouragement for elders is very focused on motivation. Why do you do this? Look at verse 2. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. He says, Shepherd the flock of God. This is a verb. The verb is shepherd, and, and it's, the word for, it's also a word that's really the word for pastor as well. It's a word for tending sheep. Do you remember at the end of the book of John, uh, Jesus is on the beach, and he's saying farewell, and he's speaking to Peter. And, and if you remember, Peter has failed badly. He has denied Christ. He swore he never knew him. He, he cursed him. He shamed himself. It was terrible. One of the worst falls in all of scripture. And in verse 21, Jesus meets Peter on the beach. And as they stand on that shore, the future lying far ahead of them, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, tend my sheep. Literally, he just says, shepherd my sheep. He says, be a pastor, in other words, to Peter. And that task that Jesus gave to Peter belongs to all of us who are elders in the church and I'm going to refer to myself in the second person, a teaching elder and a ruling elder, or two sides of the same coin, the same office. All elders, in a sense, are to be pastors, not necessarily in their office, but in their acts, in the way that they treat the church, in the way that they think about the flock. And the question is, how do we shepherd a church? What does it mean to shepherd a church? Does it mean that we're supposed to start up a bunch of programs? Does it mean that we're supposed to have a series of interconnected Bible studies or a giant praise band and choir? Just think of all the possible, endless possibilities that people might think an elder should be doing. Or maybe if someone said, this is what the elders of this church should be doing. Just imagine how bottomless the possibilities are of what people think elders in the church Ought to do. Well, Martin Luther, he gave a very succinct, very simple explanation of what it means to be an elder. He says the main thing is elders shepherd by preaching the gospel. Elders shepherd by preaching the gospel. And, And remember what the gospel is the gospel is not behave yourself, the gospel is not you are a sinner, period. The gospel is not good people go to heaven, you should be a good person too. The gospel is not be a good citizen. The gospel is not make sure you're voting the right way. That is not the gospel. First and foremost, the gospel says your sins can be wiped away if you trust in Christ and you can receive his righteousness in exchange for your sin. Think about what that means. If, if the pulpit of a church is mainly focused on behavior on moralism, on politics, or on making listeners feel terribly guilty without setting Jesus before them as Savior, we have failed as, as elders. Not only has that particular pastor or preacher or teaching elder failed, so have all the elders who allowed it to happen in the first place. We are all responsible as elders for what happens in the pulpit of the church. So if the flock is starving, it's on the elders of the church. The work of the elder isn't taking care of the building or the grounds. It isn't to guide the budget of the church. It isn't to make sure all the bills are paid, as as important as those things are. Those things are given to the deacons. No, first and foremost, it is to make sure that the flock is eating and that it is eating well. Notice something else in verse 2. Notice whose flock this is. This is not our flock. This is God's flock. It's God's church. And to shepherd is to receive a heavy responsibility from God himself to take care of his people. Uh, Have you ever watched someone else's children while they went on a trip or traveled? I bet if you're grandparents, you probably have. Um, To me as a parent... It is a very heavy thing to leave my children with you. If I have left my children with you, it is a sign of the greatest trust that I could possibly give you. There's nothing more precious I can give you than my own children to watch. And think about this God has entrusted us with his children. And this is even more serious. This is his church. These are his children that he loves. And he's given them to the elders of the church and said, take care of my sheep. Take care of my children. How should we do that? Well, verse 2 says how we should shepherd. He says we should do it with wholehearted desire. Just, if you just kind of feel called to be an elder, that's a problem. Uh, mainly because this is an office that comes with high stakes. James 3 says elders will be judged more strictly. And so it's sort of a terrifying thing to be an elder because we have to realize, and, and oftentimes we do realize, that God and the church will look at and scrutinize our way of life more carefully than the average church member. At the final judgment, I will be scrutinized more closely than you if you're, a, if you're not an elder. That's a scary thought. If we serve... Only because we feel like we should or we have to, we, we will labor out of obligation alone. We'll lose our joy and the church will suffer because of it, because we weren't really called. And so Peter uses this phrase, he says, serve willingly and serving willingly. In other words, doing this because we know this is what we're supposed to do is exactly how we fight back against that temptation to serve with obligation. Serving willingly is challenging sometimes. It can be. Church members can help with this, though. They can help their, their pastor to keep his desire and keep his love by, by building him up and not tearing him down. And I have to immediately say I'm very grateful. This is a church that is very good at building me up. I feel very loved at Pearl Presbyterian Church. Whenever anyone in the Presbytery asks me how, is the, how are things going at Pearl, I let them know I feel very loved and appreciated by this church. And so uh, this is not a passive-aggressive swipe. I'm just trying to explain the text and explain how we can live it out. But church members can also torment their elders by criticizing them. I had a pastor tell me about a church member who was angry with him. And he was angry at him and he was angry at the session because this fellow had an idea. And it was a good idea. His idea was he wanted to go and he wanted to stand in front of an abortion clinic. And he wanted to counsel women who were coming in. The, the problem was he went to the session and said, I want the session to be part of this. I want the whole church to be part of this. And the session ultimately said, this is something that's a matter of Christian liberty, and we want you to feel blessed in what you're doing. But this is not the focus necessarily of what our church is going to do. Well, the reality is Christians can march in front of abortion clinics without the session's involvement. It doesn't take the session's involvement or blessing to do that. And I'm not commenting. The session here has never been asked to do this. But the reality is many good things that church members want to do can and should be done without the involvement of the session. There is Christian freedom to minister in the culture at large. Without the session necessarily being involved. And this man's complaint was the session's not doing this. And so what did he do? He began to complain about the elders to other church members. He began to say that the elders of the church were soft on abortion, which wasn't true. Uh, he began to criticize the pastor because he wasn't pushing the session to do these things. And so he, he became, became very discontented, and he grumbled, and he spoke against the pastor, and he spoke against the elders. And if you want elders who serve willingly and joyfully, this is the opposite of how you do that. Uh, sometimes pointing out errors can actually be misery-inducing. And so rather than complaining especially around the church to others other than the elders... How do you build up the elders? You build them up. You infuse them with joy the best that you can. It is the best possible investment you will ever make in the leadership of the church. It is very important to Peter that elders serve out of a surplus of joy, not out of guilt, not out of fear of man, and not out of a raw sense of duty. Now, duty is very important, but it's not the only thing. He says we need to serve willingly. Shepherd the flock of God willingly, not under compulsion. That's the first instruction Peter gives here. Second, Peter says shepherd selflessly, selflessly shepherd. He says, shepherd the flock of God, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So he is pressing elders to, again, weigh their motivation. Are we driven by a self-centered quest for money or glory? And I think this is less challenging to ruling elders than it is to teaching elders. Because, as you know, teaching elders specifically derive their income from the church that they serve. Uh, But they also cannot serve so that they become wealthy. And that's tricky. Because on the one hand, teaching elders go to school for eight years, at least in our denomination. And they give up opportunities to become lucratively wealthy. And then on the other hand, you have Paul saying that they should be worthy of double honor. And so for Peter here, he doesn't give a number or anything like that. But the most important thing for the teaching elder, at least in this moment, isn't your pay as much as your motivation. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this to become wealthy? And I think Peter's implying here, if so, you need to be in a different calling. Now, this is very painful to talk about. First of all, pastors don't like talking about money. Um, Paul is very clear, though, in 1 Peter 5, teaching elders should be compensated financially. And in fact, he says they're worthy of double honor. And the reason he says it is so that they will be free from worldly concerns, so they can keep serving joyfully and willingly and without distraction. And at the same time, pastors are sort of mortified to admit we need money or that we want to be paid. Uh, When I went to seminary, uh, I was this... I'll call myself bright-eyed, very idealistic. I I was going to be a gospel minister, and one thing I knew was I didn't want to talk about money. And, And I thought that, man, I could preach, that I could pastor, that I would never have to think about money, never have to talk about money or my own needs or my family's needs. And what the Lord did when I went to seminary was he just brutally showed me that that was a dream. Uh, because what would happen was this: uh, during seminary, I would I would go and preach in various churches around Mississippi. I've talked about this before. I'd go to to uh, the North Mississippi. I'd go over to Alabama. I would try, travel, you know, travel probably about two hours every single time. And each time I would go, I would get a couple hundred dollars. And some some churches were really generous, and they would they would pay even more. And, and then I would go to class all week. I would work a part-time job on campus, so would my wife. And then the, but the real payday was Sunday mornings. So I would go and I would lead worship in a church. And whenever I did that, that's how we paid the bills. And, and I remember once we were, we were dead broke. I mean, broke, broke. Like the cabinets were bare. We didn't have milk in the fridge. And I remember we were so glad that Sunday was here because we needed to buy some groceries. And, and so I, I spent the last of my money to fill up the tank, put gas in it. I went to the church. I served. I, I preached. I led the service. And then uh, this was very poorly done. But as I was in the receiving line greeting people as they were leaving, two of the elders came up to me and said, how much are we supposed to pay you? And they did it while all these people were walking around me and shaking my hands. It was very poorly done. <laughs> and and I was just thrown I didn't know how to answer their question because every church just gave me a check and 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 they, they nobody ever asked me that question before and so I, I very very terrified uh, young man just not knowing how to answer the question told them well uh, uh, the minimum that every church has ever given me is this amount and the immediate response was oh we can't do that that's crazy that's way too much and And all the while, these church members were still leaving and walking around me. If you like The Office or really awkward shows where you cringe, this is probably hilarious to you. Um, And it's hilarious to me now, but it was mortifying then. And so all the people could hear me asking for more money than the church wanted to give me. And I was trying to shake their hands, and they were trying to tell me they heard something in the message. And... and, uh, at the end of it all, they gave me enough money to fill my gas tank back up and get me back home. And, and as I was driving home, the Lord really, really, really was showing me. He, he basically was showing me, you can't live as a pastor and not ever talk about these things. You just, you just can't do that. And it was a mortifying experience also because it exposed something in me. You know, was I being greedy because I needed them to pay me and be more generous? That was a, something I was wrestling very hard with. And all the way home, I, I was praying. And, and at first, I asked God, please forgive me for, for being greedy. I, I thought it, I must be greedy. That I knew they hadn't paid me enough. I, I knew they hadn't. I knew they hadn't treated me right. And then I, I, I sort of chastised myself. I said, well, you shouldn't want to be paid at all, right? You should be doing this for free. Um, and I used to do that for free. And, and then after a couple of hours of driving, it was a very long drive. I got home. And by the time I arrived, I, I realized that I really needed to be paid or my family was going to be hungry and I would be able to keep serving and I'd have to do things differently. Uh, I'd need to get a part time job. Maybe I could drop out of seminary, maybe could become part time so I could work. And and I sort of learned not to be quite as ashamed to talk about money. Now, it's still very awkward, uh, but it was very painful for me to get to that place. And to be honest, I'm, I'm still learning how to do that. But it was in that, that moment that I came to terms with the fact that I was going into a calling where I was entirely reliant on the church and the giving of God's people so that I could keep serving single-mindedly and wholeheartedly and undistractedly. And, and it was a painful lesson to learn, and, and it, that it isn't wrong for a pastor to feed his family and put a roof over his head and need to take care of, of work without hopefully looking for a second, second job. Uh, But Peter is very stern here. He says, you are not doing this so you can become wealthy. I know I'm preaching this for myself. Pastors should be paid fairly in keeping with their training and education and their effort. But they should not be paid shamefully. That's the word Peter uses here. And let's face it, there are pastors who are being paid shamefully. Uh, Some in the United States make millions every year. They own multiple mansions. They have the most expensive clothes you've ever seen. They wear $6,000 sneakers. They really do. I mean, if you want to think about what's shameful, I mean, you could certainly start there. That's the extreme end of that. And Peter warns elders, and I think especially teaching elders, if you expect to become wealthy, you need to go into finance. You need to go into day trading. Because shepherding the flock of God ought to mean your needs are met. But it doesn't mean that you should be making seven figures and living a lavish lifestyle. God's sheep are to be nurtured by the elders, not fleeced by them. Third, Peter says, humbly shepherd. You see, there is a kind of shameful game besides money. There is a, the shameful way some elders can be tempted to accumulate power. Um, there are some men, in, in fact, we just watched a documentary with the teens on Wednesday night, who have had to leave the ministry because they use their position to throw their weight around and bully others in the church in order to get their way. And now their churches are not there and do not exist any longer. There was a megachurch in Seattle, no longer there now. Why? Because exactly this warning wasn't heeded. In verse 3, Peter is very clear. He says, Shepherd the flock of God, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Think about what he's saying. We have a duty to shepherd, not dominate. Shepherding a church means looking after sheep who often have a mind of their own, and they don't always do what we want. They, they, there are just some folks who are not very easy to lead. Uh, many folks don't want to be shepherded. They want to be the shepherds. And for elders, that can be very frustrating. And, and there is this temptation. Wouldn't life be easier if everyone just did what we said and let us be the boss of the world? I always find myself thinking that, especially when I'm in traffic. And, and, and in their frustration, the temptation of the shepherd can be to just slaughter the sheep Have a meal, turn it into a comfy jacket instead of guiding it along with patience and care. And that's what Peter says here. He says, you can't just go slaughtering the sheep. You have to take care of the sheep. And we do need to guide the sheep back. You know, the rod is in the hand of the shepherd because sometimes he needs to strike to correct, but also point them back to the herd. Sometimes elders do need to exercise church discipline and they shouldn't be shy about it. But the opposite of humble shepherding, think of the opposite of humble shepherding. I think the opposite of this is found in the wicked elders of Israel in Ezekiel 34. And you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you a section from Ezekiel 34. These were wicked, wicked shepherds who they only cared about themselves and they treated the people According to the text, they treated them harshly and brutally. Listen to what Ezekiel accuses the wicked shepherds of. He says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. There it is. Peter says, no, 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 you don't look out for God's flock by whipping and cruelty and unfair treatment. Not by berating and by pointing the finger and through accusations. I think such an elder, Jesus, would look at them and say, with force and harshness, you've ruled them. And the warning here is very real. This isn't abstract. Elders aren't to be a force to be reckoned with. We're to be a guide to the lost. And we're to love the sheep of Jesus. We're to give the guidance of Christ. Now I have very often said, and especially I don't think I've said it in the pulpit, but the sermons I preach are just as much for me as they are for the congregation. And this is, that's doubly true of tonight's passage. This is a sermon for your pastor. This is a reminder for me of the expectations that he has for me as one of the under-shepherds of the church. Uh, And it's a reminder to my fellow elders in the church as well. It's also a word to future elders in the church, whomever they may be. It's important, before people even consider The office that they recognize what the calling involves when they accept the office of elder. But if you're a member of this church, I hope tonight's message does a couple of things for you. If you're just an an average church member. For one, I hope it motivates you to pray. As I said before, as go the elders, so goes the church. If you want a healthy church with spiritual protection... And joy and effective witness, then pray for your elders. Pray for us. We we need it. We know spiritual dryness. We know weariness. We know discouragement. We know what it is to wrestle with pride and to be tempted to lord it over the flock. We need prayer for that. I have Mondays where I don't have any physical or spiritual strength in myself. And the only thing I believe that keeps me going is knowing that there are faithful people in this church who have told me they are praying for me. All the elders need to know that. Don't just pray for your pastor. Pray for all the elders of the church. Uh, I also hope tonight's message will move you to encourage the elders of the church. Now, people encourage me all the time. People thank me all the time. Uh, and I appreciate it. And, and don't slow down. Uh, I like it. But I think that we underestimate how much ruling elders need to be encouraged and how much ruling elders need to be thanked as well. I have other applications. I want to save them for next week, but I hope you see that there's a lot here that is applicable, even if you aren't an elder in the church. But here's, here's what I would say as a final exhortation to the elders here specifically. Um, we do want a healthy and joyful church We should hope for peace in the congregation. We should hope for numerical growth. None of these things are bad. But we must remember who it is that we serve as elders. We don't serve the church ultimately. We don't serve the visitors ultimately. No, our service is a spiritual service rendered to Jesus himself. How do I know that? Look at verse four. He sets our eyes as elders, and he doesn't... He, he doesn't say, make sure everyone is happy with you. He doesn't say, make sure that folks approve of how you're doing. Um, he doesn't say, check the wind and see which way things are blowing in the congregation necessarily. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It is, it is tempting to try to make... Your worst critics happy to sort of anticipate the thing that will make people the most unhappy and try to make everybody happy. As if the opinions of the congregation are what the elder or the minister, same thing, should perform for. And the stern reminder of Peter is this. We serve Jesus. We may have to make unpopular decisions. We, we may have to do things that don't meet with unanimous applause. Uh, We might have to discipline someone in the church who's a close friend or, or, or family or who's been in the church for a long time. None of these things are going to leave us universally beloved. We should love the church. We should love the church, but never at the cost of fulfilling our calling. Because ultimately, as elders, we serve an audience of one. We serve Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd. We are the under shepherds. And there's coming a day when he will return and he will ask us what we have done with what we were given. And on that day, it won't matter what Mr. or Mrs. Grundy thought of us. The only thing that will matter is whether Jesus will say those words to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what will matter the most. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we thank you for your church. We know that you love your church. And you've not only given us fellow members, but you've given us officers, especially the office of elder. We pray first for the elders of this church, Lord. We know that the calling you've given us would be impossible if it weren't for your spirit's help. And so we ask you, send your spirit to each and every elder, elder emeritus, teaching elder, retired elder, in this place, with any connection to this church, Lord, give us health so that your church can have health. We pray for your church, that you would honor your word to come to us, dwell among us, and that you would indeed use the ministry of this church to build us up into a dwelling of your very own. We ask it in Jesus' name.